If you're able to stand with me, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. We're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 12 and 13. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. And then let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Amen. You may be seated. Cheryl, thank you very much. Many in the congregation call Cheryl Aunt Cheryl uh, because she cares for us so well and has modeled godliness and service. Wordsworth, uh, the romantic poet, uh, I'm sure he had no idea when he penned this line just how famous it would become, but he wrote, the child is father of the man. And perhaps you've heard that. You remember back to high school English class. What did Wordsworth mean by the child is father of the man? I think many down through the ages has taken that to mean that the things that happen to us uh, as small children indelibly mold us uh, into who we become as adults. Or I even think on another reading when he said the child is father to the man to say children have something very important to teach us as adults. And as you'll see today, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. That in a moment as he's going to Jerusalem uh, to accomplish what his father uh, set him out to accomplish, that he encounters these little children and from uh, this uh, kind of organic, spontaneous development, he teases out two very important lessons for a church like ours. Now, just as last week, you remember, we met the Pharisee and the publican, and I think to understand that one, we had to do some work to, to rehabilitate the Pharisee. And so in today's passage, I need to do some work uh, in really thinking about what a child meant in Greco-Roman society. You see, now uh, we live in a time where it's very common to have children call the shots, isn't it? We're very used to this. You say, well, you know, the children are self-determining. You know, they, they are actually authoritative over their parents. And, you know, we just do whatever, you know, whatever little Johnny wants. That's what we're going to do. Say, we've, we've actually gone so far the opposite direction of what would have been the case at Jesus' time. I have every reason to believe that uh, Roman parents would have loved their children, uh, but may we have no doubt about it that they weren't uh, full social members of society. 
that again, unlike today, where children have this kind of great place of honor in Greco-Roman society, they would have been a rather diminished category. Uh, children were on the periphery of society and certainly uh, you know, ought not to be looked at as a kind of example. So Jesus once again shows us that how we come to him, how we get right with God, is countercultural and counterintuitive. Uh, just as last week, everyone would have said, if you remember, the Pharisees, the pious guy, certainly the Pharisees in, the publican, uh, that guy who steals from, certainly the publican is out and the Pharisee is in. And so today it would have been, well, certainly the strong adults, the strong men are in, and the little children, uh, well, let's keep them to the side. Not so, says Jesus. Now, the apostles here, I think that they're acting on... Uh, they're trying to love Jesus well, aren't they? Because you can say he's, he's a very busy man. Uh, he's already said that his time is limited. He's on a mission. Uh, the time is short. And so here comes these parents. You know, they're trying to get the little kids to the front of the line. The apostles say, no, uh, keep them away. Can't you see? Jesus is very important, and he's very busy. And they have the mentality, as I, I'm afraid many do, that Jesus uh, only accepts certain kinds of people. Uh, only the right kind of people can come into the presence of Jesus, and certainly only the right kind of people can be forgiven by Jesus. But not so, right? Jesus says the exact opposite. So in just these few lines, I think there are two profound and practical lessons for Providence Church. So firstly, um, what does Jesus say? That we're to receive the kingdom with a childlike attitude. So once again, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What do you think Jesus means, uh, you know, looking at these children that are brought to him, say the kingdom of God is for, for one such as these. What could he mean by that? Certainly he doesn't mean you can only be right with God if you make that commitment as a small child. We know that can't be the case because we just met the publican who was clearly an adult who is right in God's eyes. So he doesn't mean that. Rather what he means, again looking contextually, is that children are dependent on others. It's interesting the word in my ESV, right, infants, we get two words, infants and then children, but these are, these are quite small children. These are real little ones. So what could he mean? He must mean that, don't you see that this infant has no independent agency of the parents bringing them to Jesus? That they, uh, you know, could be irritating to the parents, but they really aren't self-determining. Uh, if you leave a small child on its own, it, it can't sustain itself. It won't make it very long at all. It's absolutely dependent upon his or her parents. Uh, those of us who become parents, that extraordinary miracle, and I do, is a miracle that happens every day. Very often at Providence, as it would happen. Um, so, um, and you see that little tiny body, uh, the miracle that it is. And you see that it is absolutely dependent upon the parents. Is Jesus, and again, I think he's saying that don't you see, those who come to God through Jesus must realize their dependence upon his mercy. Isn't it interesting then that this child is the foil. You'll notice what happens right before, and next week we'll see what happens after. But this child uh, acts as the foil, the good example, against who? The proud Pharisee, remember his prayer, look at what I've done. I fast, 
I tithe. Look at how great I am. You see, I, I do it. I, I'll, I'll make it myself. And then next week, the rich, the rich young ruler. Again, a man says, look at my accomplishments. Look at all that I have. The child is the exact opposite. The child is at the mercy of the parents. The child implicitly trusts the parents. And this is why in Luke's gospel and in other places too, I want to highlight the verb. What's the verb here? Verse 17, you receive the kingdom. It's a posture of, of being gifted the kingdom. Over and over again, Luke will use this language. How do you come to Jesus? You come to Jesus by really receiving the gift of grace that God has done in his death and resurrection. So the child, opposite an adult, is dependent and trusting and can but receive a gift. And so it is with every person who comes to Jesus. We come on God's terms as needy sinners, casting ourselves on his mercy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Um, I don't want to be one of those people that's, uh, I guess we'd say, gullible, uh, you know, just trusting whatever's, you know, being tossed around. They're kind of blindly following the crowd, you know. Uh, I don't want to be like one of those. Now, there's a word for this mentality that has a long history. We call it skepticism, right? That this uh, long line of leading intellectuals say, if you're a, a person of thoughtfulness, which we all want to be per persons of thoughtfulness, um, if you're a thinking person, then you must behave skeptically, uh, that you must doubt and act in negation. And I would say this, generally, there's a lot of different ideas in the world. Say we do well not to believe everything. In fact, it's quite good not to believe everything. But there are some who kind of take a certain pride in the skepticism. I'm not going to go along with the crowd, you know, just believe it because Jesus says it. Let's uh, make no, uh, you know, let's not take any uh, shortcuts here because the, the real issue with skepticism that if you apply that principle of negation across the board, then there is no foundation to live your life. That if you constantly uh, question everything, that you trust nobody or nothing, then what you find is that you can't know and trust yourself, that there's no foundation for life. And everything that's worth doing in life, you need these kind of axioms, you need these things, these non-negotiables to act upon. And what the Christ follower recognizes is that the words of Jesus, the reason why we are dependent upon him, why we believe him, is because of his great merit as God's only son. So this is why in the famous hymn, um, we sang it this past Wednesday at prayer. I'm sure if you've been around a church for any length of time, you'll recognize it, but tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know Thus saith the Lord. So for the true Christ follower, in a world with all kinds of crazy ideas, many that are to be questioned, many more that are probably to be rejected, why is it about Jesus that we're just to take him simply on faith? Because he is the God-man, because of the purity of his record, and what we find that as we entrust our lives to him, as we would say, receive him, that that becomes a place of great rest and great peace. And that is an alternative that the world does not offer. So what could Jesus mean? The kingdom of God, you receive it like this little child before me, as he would say. What does that mean? It means that we come with a dependence. We come with no agency of our own. We come casting ourselves upon his mercy, the same point he made last week 
in that parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Now secondly, and now this isn't the only time Jesus uses small children to make sermon illustrations, but I think if you look at Matthew in verse 18, you know many of them uh, believe in Jesus, many of these young ones do put belief in Jesus. Um, children, uh, children often identify the good, the true, and the beautiful that I think, and I, I, I don't think we should understand this passage at all, saying our children somehow more innocent, say, no, we all come into the world dead on arrival, don't we? We all come in with a clenched fist saying, I don't want to be accountable to God. I don't want to trust in Jesus. So it's not that children are innocent and adults are sinful, uh, that we're all equally sinful. But the cumulative effect of uh, sin and hardening in an adult world, I think can, to use the Pauline phrase, sear our consciences. That you get going in this world in a while, uh, you know, for a while, you get down in the business of it, you see how people behave, and you adopt those patterns, and you can come to a point where you have a very hard and stony heart, and you're somewhat blinded to, again, those categories of the good and the true and the beautiful. Whereas children, um, while still sinners, have not been hardened to such a degree where this happens. So I, I find this to be a fascinating scenario. Uh, maybe you remember reading about it in the paper. But a man named Joshua Bell not to be confused with the Indians' first baseman, Josh Bell. I was very happy with his hit in the late innings last night. But not Josh Bell, but Joshua Bell, the famous violinist. Um, perhaps one people would say one of the leading violinists in the world. And he decided to run an experiment in the D.C. metro station. Uh, that he would take his violin down there and, uh, you know, during a busy rush hour, just start to play and see what happened, see if anybody knew uh, fine art when they knew it. So Josh, Joshua Bell uh, goes down there dressed in plain clothes, and little did they know, he gets out his $3.5 million Stradivarius uh, built in 1713. And uh, he starts to play what's widely regarded as one of the great violin pieces of all time by Bach, uh, he strings a few of these together, I think Schubert and others, so he plays for 43 minutes. So leading violinist in the world, pay, playing one of the best instruments in the world, uh, playing art that's universally regarded as kind of the pinnacle of uh, musical achievement. What would happen? About 1,100 people passed by, 1,097. Uh, he managed to get $32 in his case, um, but only a few handful. Less than 10, fewer than 10, stopped even for a moment to listen to him. But you know what? There was a disproportionate amount of one type of person who stopped. Children. Children were the ones who stopped. The most fascinated person out of the 1,100 was a three-year-old boy. He stopped and he kept turning back. And you know what happened? Each time the child stopped, you know what happened? Mom or dad invariably said, we got to get going. We're in a hurry. Don't pay attention to that. Let's go. And I wonder that in that experiment, there's something very important for, for people like us. I'm very busy. I'm very driven. I don't have time for that. Unless you say, well, there's something else to it, the good and the true and the beautiful. And children have a way of seeing that in a way hardened and skeptical adults cannot see. And oftentimes they see Jesus and they put their faith in him. You know, this in a weird way, I remember kind of a Shaw family story. My grandfather, my dad's dad, died at age 54. My dad and his dad, my grandfather, would always say, oh, when am I going to be about half your age? Um, and uh, what day would it be where I'd be exactly half your age? 
And uh, so my grandfather uh, died at age 54, and they buried him on my dad's 27th birthday. And my dad will say, the last thing my dad, you know, young, 27-year-old, ambitious, the last thing my grandfather said to my dad, Douglas, make sure you take time to stop and smell the roses. You know that saying. And maybe it's up to us say, wait a second here. Are the impulses of my hardened nature taking over the impulses I had as a child to stop and to think and to see the world that God has given us. So children often recognize the good, the true, and the beautiful in a way that adults cannot or will not. Thirdly, children, <laughs> children are unimpressed by status indicators. Have you noticed that? At what age, at what age, and I'm really, do, do they start to say, I've got the wrong kind of shoes. Um, I got the wrong kind of haircuts. My buddy's got a cooler haircut than I do. At what rate, you know, age, I say, well, dad's 2017 Honda Accord's got to go. <laughs> um, small children, exactly in the flow of our passage, they don't care about stuff that gives you status. They don't care whether you're a Pharisee or a publican. They don't care whether you're a rich young ruler. But they come in the beckoning of the Lord Jesus. And again, I, I think personal sermon illustrations uh, from my own children uh, on this kind of sermon is, is low-hanging low fruit, but I couldn't resist just one. And I hope you don't think I'm snobbish for saying this. It is uh, no one connected to Providence Church, I assure you. But some years ago, uh, I was doing an out-of-town wedding, and it was about two hours away, and uh, we had one child at the time, Graham. He was probably three. And uh, I said, well, this will be a good one to go with as a family. You know, Mallory will come, and Graham will come, and we'll stay the night, and it'll be a great day. We'll even have some time for the zoo. And so I didn't look. You know, the family had made the accommodations, and that's, that's fairly standard. I didn't look. And, and anyway, please, please forgive me, friends. I hope this doesn't. But, but we got to the hotel, and I, I will just say the accommodations were Spartan, okay? <laughs> it, it was rough. And I thought, can I? Bring Mallory here again. I'm, I'm not, it was, just, it, it was just not what I was used to. And so we came into the hotel, and I, I'm still struggling what to do, and the cleanliness issue, and, 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 and then what changed me is that my three-year-old son was so happy because that was his first time and night in a hotel. And I said, Austin, this should remind remind me to see things through the eyes of a child. There's no idea what a good hotel or a bad hotel or a dirty hotel or a clean hotel. He was just happy to be doing something new and something exciting. Children are unimpressed by status indicators. And any real disciple of Jesus, at the end of the day, yeah, there's nice things. We like nice things. We have nice things. But at the end of the day, really isn't moved and drawn to status indicators in the way that we were before we were Christians. Fourthly, Children are often curious and teachable. So again, in Matthew 18, when he uses children as an example, they're coming to Jesus. The little children in that passage are, are, are coming to, to investigate, to see this good man. And this is why Jesus, again, uh, says, do not thwart this kind of curiosity. And it raises the question for us, I was talking this week with the interns, how many of us are genuinely, genuinely hungry to grow in our, our maturity in Jesus? We see it all over the New Testament that we should be you know, more motivated than, than our jobs or in our relate to, to really become more like Jesus, to, to learn more, to absorb more, to obey more. How do I create that hunger in myself? You say a child has it naturally to investigate the world and to grow. May that be like us. So we, all of us who are Christ followers, we receive the kingdom. 
with a childlike attitude, one of absolute dependence and trust, receiving what he's given. And friends, again, I, I, I draw this out because it's right plainly in the text. Verse 7, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Why do I draw that out? Because there are so many places now that's just universalism. Everybody's getting in, doesn't matter what you think. Two weeks in a row, we've seen directly from the lips of Jesus that there is a posture to receiving Jesus. And there are dispositions and attitudes and refusals that meet the end of being on the outside. And I do pray that everyone here today is already a committed Christian, or for the first time, if you're not, would think deeply about these things, and today, for the first time, receive this gift as a child, be set right with God, and be on your way to serve him. So we receive the kingdom with a childlike attitude. Um, and that continues. I have a few more verses uh, on the sheet, but notice how this theme, once you become a Christian, uh, it goes straight through. So from John's gospel, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, or Romans 8. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So once again, we are children of the living God. Sin has scattered us, but the grace of God has gathered us. So the scattering by sin and the gathering by God's grace into his family as needy recipients of his mercy. Now the second point then, and I think even more plainly uh, than the spiritual dimension that Jesus would draw us to. Very plain, but needs said. Ministering to children is essential. It's a non-negotiable. How important were children to Jesus? Very important. Is this just something that Jesus, you know, pulled out of his back? No, the first reading. You remember Deuteronomy 31. What did it say? You bring your children into the assembly so they can know and think about the things of God so that it is deeply ingrained in their minds because this will mature them into the followers that God would want them to be. So ministering to children is a non-negotiable in our church. Jesus cares about children. Now, forgive me for using some pastor lingo here, but maybe you've heard this tossed around. Are you all familiar with the 4 to 14 window? The 4 to 14 window is just a, a, a data point that has been verified many, many, many times. Uh, those stand for the ages between the age of 4 and the age of 14. If you survey people who have put their trust in Jesus, are, you'd say, real disciples, re real followers of him, they will say the first time I really encountered the teaching of the gospel. If I may put, you know, yes, some have wandered, but if they really say, where did I first learn this, this truth that I've never quite, you know, many have left, but the, the truth, it's never gone out of my mind between the ages of four and 14. That we have this great privilege of teaching the children of our church about following the King of Kings. It is the greatest privilege. You know, on any given week, somewhere between 22 and 25% of the souls in this building are age 10 and younger. What are we going to do about that? This is why we invest so much. Dawn and Julie do such a wonderful job. There are really hundreds of volunteers that we don't do childcare, but rather we say we have this great privilege of building into young children. 
And if I may say so, if you're, you're not a Christian and your spouse brought you along and you say, well, my spouse teaches them about Jesus and I just, you know, I don't care and I try to tear it down. I just want to remind us what Jesus says about this kind of thing in Matthew 18. If anyone who sees a child who believes in me and tries to dampen and discourage the faith of a little child, it is better for that individual to have a giant millstone tied around their neck and to be thrown at the bottom of Lake Erie. That last bit was my gloss. You get the idea, the bottom of the sea. Um, this is very serious. Teaching young children true things is an, is an essential for the ministry of any church. And friends, if you think that this is not serious, the secular side understands the 4 to 14 window as well, don't they? Why is it, you know, at, at face value, come and say, well, why are, why are library story times so controversial? The kind of weird things being taught in there. Why are they doing this? I mean, what, I mean, what a strange thing, at fa you know, pushing, pro well, because the culture will catechize our children if we don't. If we don't take the responsibility to teach them about the Lord Jesus, the good news of the gospel, the grace that he's shown us, how we've received him, then the culture will catechize our children into thinking all kinds of weird points that lead them to be increasingly depressed and anxious and rebellious and whatever else it is. So what do we do? Well, friends, I think one, for one thing, you know, we can teach them to, I have to be careful here, but, but for one, to, to love the church. And I don't mean you say, well, here's the pastor again beating us over the head about church attendance. No, I'm saying there's a, there's a family of God striving to obey Jesus, using our different gifts to build each other up. You teach a young child, say, this is, this is your church family. You, you, you uh, are participatory in the church as you are at the family meal. So you come to the family, is he gonna show up or not? Say, that's not being a part. Say, no, we're, we're a part of a family. We've each been given gifts. You know, Shaw boys, hey, hey, dad, we going to church? I don't know, flip a coin, maybe. You feel like it? No, we go because that's who we are. And if we teach the young children, well, the church is take it or leave it, the Jesus stuff is take it or leave it, guess what? And the children grow up and they say, well, church is a take it or leave it kind of thing. We, we, we need only look in the mirror. Secondly, parents, you know, you might be thinking, well, how do I do this? I'm, I'm not, not, not the pastor up there. Where, where, say, just think of the catechism we've been working through for 44 weeks. Say, it's, it's a one, you're there around the dinner table, you got a whole week, you open your catechism, dad, is a leader of your home, say this is an important thing and we're gonna talk about this. And you see that those little minds say this is, this is good and true and beautiful and right. And you talk about it, you read the Bible. You watch a show with them and say it's good, I watch TV, see, observe things, you know, you ask them, they get to a certain age, say what did you think, what was good about that? What was not so good about that show? What do you think, you know, honored Jesus in that show? What do you think you say is probably not going to lead down such a good path? Those types of things is our privilege. How about Awana? You know, you're here, you say, well, I've not, you know, I see that serving children's important, but I'm, you know, past that stage in life. Say, no, Tuesday night's Awana. You can say, I, I'm doing this out of a, a clear obedience to Jesus that ministry to young minds is so important. And the culture, more than ever, 
is teaching them to dampen their faith, to be embarrassed of their faith, and all at their own peril as the church just has open arms for the kind of collateral damage we're seeing across, say, teenage women. So friends, that is the charge before us today. First, may we all remember, those of us who are Christians, that we have received the kingdom not through our own agency, but rather as recipients, as receiving a good gift. We delight in that. We desire to grow in that. And secondly, that we minister to the young minds of this church because Christ is worthy, and this is the great privilege that the Lord has entrusted to us. So I will pray, and then I will give instructions for the Lord's Supper. Loving and gracious Father, we thank you for this lesson through the infants the way that your kingdom would work in counterintuitive and countercultural ways, and here that Jesus would remind us that the child is father to the man, that the dependency of the child has a profound lesson for us who, those of us who are so accomplished. And so, Father, help us to be humble, help us to be dependent, to receive um, the good gifts that you have for us, and to accept them with a posture of gratitude. And also, Lord, the second flank of this to not be dismissive of the little folks in the back, say, well, we've got childcare, but rather to say, no, actually, what we're doing back there is a very strategic and important thing, and that as many as possible would participate in repeating the good truth of Scripture to every young mind that you would entrust us with. So, Father, commit this time to you in Christ's name.